Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. My sidekick and co-host and business partner and darling daughter Alyssa is with me this morning Zooming. And still there? Uh Uh-huh. She must be doing something with the kids or something. That's what I'm thinking. Anyway, moving right along here. Folks, wanted to spend a minute about paying off your mortgage. Whew. I think about this a lot. I think the most important piece of generic financial advice I could give just about any would anybody would be make sure that your mortgage is retired when you are. Okay, from a financial point of view, I think it's like extremely important, okay, that when you retire, you don't have that debt. And I think you should spend a good chunk of your life trying to plan for that from my point of view. Okay, the reason for that is pretty simple. When folks retire, the first question, is your income in retirement going to be higher or lower than when you were working? And the answer for just about everybody is it's going to be lower, okay? And it's probably going to be a lot lower when you look at what your, if a married couple and what your joint income is and then what your joint social security income is. So I think a safe presumption is that your income in retirement is going to be lower. So I think a pretty good guess, okay, is that your expenses are going to have to be lower for you to make your life work. This ain't rocket science, folks. That's just how the math works, okay? Statistically speaking, somewhere between 20% 20 and 35% of people's normal living expenses are a mortgage payment, okay? And so you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that if the day you retired, your mortgage payment, okay, was gone, then your expenses are going to go down by some measure and probably not small. Okay. So, you know, how much money you saved and a whole bunch of other things in your life, I I hopefully did good stuff. But if you can do one thing on the retirement scene, please, oh, please. Okay. Retiring your mortgage is an extremely beneficial place to be when you're retired. Okay, sounds easy, but it's not. Let me back up and explain why. So let's see. Hey, Tim, I'm going to play 20 questions with you. Yes, sir. Okay. How many folk, how many houses do you think people own in the course of their lifetime? You got any idea? Own two? I'm going to guess, by the way, somewhere between three and five. Okay, people buy okay. a 
people buy a home, if they have kids and children, they buy a big, bigger one, and then they they buy one after that that might be their last home. Mm. There might even be four. So, by the way, more than one, okay, most people own more than one home in their life. Maybe it's two or three. Let's. I'm just going to do three as an example. So, you know, you're in your late 20s, you're in your early to mid 30s, you just bought your house, and I'll do this I'll do this so it matches up. You're 35 years old, 35-year-old couple, just bought a house, 30-year mortgage. If you stay in that house forever, it's retired by the 30 30 years comes up. That's not the way we do things in America, okay? <laughs> Maybe 10 years after that, that that couple's now 45 years old and they need a bigger home cuz now they've got one kid versus two versus whatever the math. But by the way, the real estate people like to call your first home your starter home. Oh, yeah. It's not often the ender home for right. most folks, I think. So they're 45. Okay, they're going to buy their second home. It's going to be more or less expensive than the first one, Tim. What are you thinking? Probably more. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay, and do you think they're going to have their mortgage paid off from the first house by the time they do that? If they're lucky. Pro- pro- yeah, but no way. No. Yeah. Okay, and by the way, if you're 10 years into a 30-year mortgage, you're not one-third of the way through the, the capital reduction. That's not how it works. It's almost so, like getting a car yeah. from a dealership yeah. and three three years to yeah. pay it off yeah. and after the first year. No, I'm going to go get a different yeah. one. There you go. Well, this yeah. is like the American way. Okay, uh. so anyway, <laughs> so let me think. So they're 45 years old and uh, they have two choices. They can do a 30-year mortgage, which has the lowest payment and fits their budget. Or let's see, they can do a 20-year mortgage and have it paid off by their time they're 65. Which one do you think they're probably going to do? Probably the 30-year mortgage because it's cheaper. And if you're 45 years old, there aren't many 45-year-olds thinking about retirement. I get that. All right. So now they're 45 years old. They've got a bigger mortgage than they had before. And it's the same length as the mortgage they had when they were 35 years old. Okay, so now their last house. We'll make. The, we don't want to even make a retirement home. We'll make this the third and final house. Okay, which is probably not the case for a whole lot of folks. Listen to me. Let's see that final house at f- age 55. Okay, this is their retirement home. Okay, Tim. Really tough question. Okay, more or less expensive than the home you bought 10 years ago. <laughs> Hopefully less. I did, you're dreaming, my, I know. my friend. Yeah. You are absolutely dreaming. And by the way, thank you for that, because lots of folks your age are thinking the exact same thing. Okay, but to that retirement, the retirement home, you're thinking like it's a little smaller, it's a little yeah. less complicated. So if this was house number three and the ender, the retirement home, let's see, I'm 55 years old, okay, and remember... I've got a 20-year mortgage on the first house. So let's see. I, again, I only made it less than a third of the way through paying off the capital on the first one. Okay, the retirement house, th- this is the interesting part. Tim, even though it might be smaller, might be a ranch mm-hmm. or single square footage, okay, it's going to be more expensive for two reasons. 
10 years worth of inflation on real estate yeah. prices and don't get depressed. It's, okay, here's the other thing. The other reason it's going to be more expensive is because, you know, that second house that they bought that's 10 years old, maybe they didn't quite keep it up as much as they wanted to. Maybe there was a couple things that need to be done, okay, and they did, we're going to sell a house. We're not going to do them. So if they're going to buy a smaller house, is it going to be in better or worse condition? A smaller new house. Okay, is it going to be a smaller, newer house with nicer stuff? Or is it going to be a smaller house with the same kind of stuff that they still got to work on in the house they're leaving? Guess what they're going to do? They're going to buy a smaller, more expensive, or equally expensive house. A smaller house in retirement, the folks I've worked with for years and years, they end up buying an equally expensive smaller house that's in better shape than the one that they left, the thing. Let's see. So our 55-year-old couple, I'm going to assume they, even if they pay the same price, they, they, by the way, if they paid the exact same price and had the exact same mortgage, they still got 20 years to go on the mortgage. Yeah. Right? And they're going to retire in 10. Unless I miss my guess, these folks are going to have a 10-year mortgage payment in retirement. They okay. better have a heck so, of yeah, a nest well, egg. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's where I'm going with this. And we haven't, I'm not doing any detailed math, folks. You just need to I'm think I'm going to say we're that. not even factoring in the new law that Biden passed yeah, oh, regarding oh, your credit oh, rating. picking on folks like you. Okay, yeah. That, yeah. I get it. Okay. So this is like only three homes. Okay. And yeah. The, that 55-year-old couple, who, by the way, hasn't got their kids through college yet, okay? Mm -hmm. And by the way, they're not going to take a, a 20-year mortgage when they buy that. Lap. They're going to say, I got to get my kids through college. I'm going to take the 30-year mortgage, okay, keep the payment low. And when the kids get out of college, I'm going to start saving more like a banshee to make retirement. Further down the road you go, the more you got to save to make yeah. the math work sort of a thing. So in that really simple example, okay, those 55-year-olds, even if they bought the same cost house and flipped it over, they still had 20 years to go on their mortgage. By the way, they're going to pick the 30-year mortgage. Trust me on that. Yeah. Everybody does. Okay. And then son of a gun, around the time that they get to 62 or 63 or 64, most people can't save enough money. By the way, we college. If they had kids, what do you think? That's not going to happen. But bottom line is they had at least have a 10-year mortgage in retirement. Okay. And if that's 25, 30% of your living expenses, that's a kind of a drag on the retirement. Plan. And that's my point. Okay. So my, my big picture point, okay. And people never do this. Okay. They, and they just never think about it. Okay, but every time you do a mortgage and buy a home, you ought to try to line it up with your retirement date because it is the one simplest, easiest thing that you can do in your life. Okay, and you can do this without a financial advisor telling you this, folks. You can do the math on your own. The bank will tell you how much a 20-year mortgage is or a 15-year mortgage, whatever. If you just, that's like the one, I think it's probably the most powerful thing and the most productive thing that most folks listening to me right now could do to be okay in retirement. Okay. Any questions about that, by the way? I don't know. I know we haven't, you don't even call it, but you're looking for a home right now and you understand. Well, not right this second, but we, we will be. Some, yeah. Sometime, yeah. yeah. And I know it seems like it's a daunting thing. It'll happen, but okay, it's like a, it's like a treadmill. Let's see, another home, more expensive, bigger mortgage, same length or longer. Another home, bigger mortgage, same length or longer, probably longer. And each time the treadmill goes a yeah, little faster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, okay, and assuming 
you did nothing else in your life, I hope you did, with regard to saving enough money and paying down loans, assuming you did nothing else, at the very least, if your home was paid off, if you needed to, you could spend some of it in retirement with a reverse mortgage right. or the different ways you can do that. Okay, it, for most folks listening to me, that is your single biggest asset in retirement. Okay, and if that's all you have, it's a whole lot better than having a mortgage on it. If you retire and half your home is a mortgage, you don't have a lot to work with. I just, for whatever that's worth, folks, I think that's a pretty important thing to, to do. Okay, all right, let's see. I'm going to end on that subject, but I'm going to do a couple more mortgage things because I'm just like on a roll here. Okay, so this is an article from Smart Asset. It's a financial company. Okay, it's called What Really Happens to My Mortgage When I Die? And by the way, I'm going to add to that question or when I get divorced. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So what happens to your mortgage if you die? I'm going to presume these folks are... Let's see, we can do... Let's just leave it. Whether you're working or you're retired, I guess this will make the same amount of sense. Okay. So if a married couple, if one spouse of a married couple dies, and if, okay, that married couple were the signees on the mortgage, in other words, both responsible, Mm -hmm. the mortgage is still in force. The bank is not going to cancel it. Okay, what most people don't know and what I'm pretty comfortable saying is that the bank won't cancel it, but they may choose to redo the terms of the mortgage because only one person is paying it, right. not two. Only one income versus not two incomes. And so th- there's a fairly decent chance, depending upon what your bank contract documents say, and by the way, I'm pretty sure there's a clause in there that says this, that they might not be able to cancel the mortgage, but they may be able to renegotiate the terms of the mortgage, and it ain't getting cheaper. No. Okay, especially (laughs) because it's coming off of a low interest rate environment, and banks can do mortgages at six now versus whatever sort of a thing. So I think that married couples, okay, who are both on the mortgage should know that. And I'm pretty sure for many banks, I don't speak with complete authority on this, but I'm pretty sure for many banks, they can reserve the right to renegotiate the terms of a mortgage in a divorce as well, because the bank only worries about the bank. And if two people and two incomes are paying it and it goes down to one, they're going to say, wait a minute, we're going to have to protect ourselves against that. And that's how it's going to work. So that's a pretty important thing for folks to know. Yeah, yet another worry in your life, but probably people should be aware of that. Okay. So that's the, if there's somebody else on the mortgage. Okay, if a single person dies, I guess that's the best way to say that. Or if a spouse, a married couple and a spouse dies and that spouse was the only signer on the mortgage, that mortgage is toast. Okay, because it's over because the person who was on that dies. Okay, so whether you're a surviving spouse who wasn't on the mortgage or whether you're 
two or three kids that might want to own the house and rent it, or whether you're one kid who might want to own the house and live in it, whatever, if there's somebody else that wants to hang on to that home, we're talking new mortgage game, new mortgage qualifications, and a brand new deal because the bank is going to crash the loan and say, hey, the only person who was on this mortgage is dead, and we got to protect ourselves. Oh, if you'd like, you know, so if you'd like to assume the new mortgage for this house, here's the deal. And they'll give you some time to renegotiate it, but I don't know how many people know that, but I think that's an issue that certainly could be given the circumstances, okay? And again, that's a whole other issue about when more than one child inherits a home. God forbid it was the last spouse that died off and whatever. There may be some arguments about what to do with a house and a mortgage just complicates that even more given the circumstances. But anyway, so what really happens to a mortgage when you die? If you and somebody else were on that mortgage, the mortgage will continue more than likely, but it may be a different deal because I'm pretty sure most banks reserve the right to do that. Okay. And if the mortgage person dies, regardless of whether there's a spouse or kids that are not on the mortgage, that mortgage is going to be called under some reasonable point of time and somebody's going to have to assume a new one to make the deal work if you want to go from there. So that's just how it is. I don't know how many people know that, but I think it was probably worth talking about given the circumstances. Hang on while I pull up another one here, folks. There was one more mortgage article. We got about two or three or four minutes here. Okay. Uh, hang on a second. Yeah, you get about five minutes. About, about five yes. minutes. By the way, looking for your phone calls today, 781-837-4900. Any mortgage questions or financial okay. well, Thanks, Tim. I appreciate yes. that here. Actually, no, I know what I'm going to do right now. Okay. So let's see here. Portfolio line of credit is borrowing against your investments a good idea. Mm. Okay. So this is an article I found in Yahoo Finance. It was from bankrate.com. Okay. And it was by a fellow by the name of James Royal. I'm going to probably take two or three minutes till the break to read this. And then I'm going to tee off after the break. <laughs> okay. okay. Why this is really not a good idea, folks. All right. All right. One of the lesser known benefits of a brokerage account is what's called a portfolio line of credit, also known as a margin loan. With a portfolio line of credit, your broker will lend you money against the value of your securities portfolio. Using your stocks, bonds, and funds as collateral for the loan. The larger your portfolio, the larger the amount you can borrow. Sound like a deal. Okay. Here's how a portfolio line of credit works and whether you should consider using one. My short answer is don't even think about it, but we'll get to that after the break. Many brokers allow their clients to take out a portfolio line of credit using the securities in their account as collateral for the loan. You can borrow against the account and generally use the money for whatever purpose you'd like, potentially even just buying more securities. Bad idea. That was my quote, by the way. Like a regular loan, you'll pay interest on whatever amount you borrow, 
but a portfolio line of credit typically charges a variable rate that fluctuates as the prevailing interest rates move. But unlike a regular loan, you won't have any sort of preset payment schedule. That's a dangerous thing, my quotes, okay? So you can pay the loan back as you like, or even leave it outstanding indefinitely. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Okay. Any unpaid balance will continue to accrue interest. Never good. Okay. Until it's paid off completely as cash comes into the account and reduces it. The interest rate for a portfolio line of credit is typically varies by your level of assets and with brokerage firm. And by the way, this is me. They're generally higher than loans that you get anyplace else. Right now, they're 7 or 8% versus 5 or 6 or 7 for mortgages. Okay. <clears throat> Although interest rates have been rising, lines of credit can still offer some of the lowest rates around. We could question that. Okay. You'll be able to access a portfolio line of credit in a taxable account only. You can't borrow funds against your IRA folks. You can buy it against an individual or a joint account that you might have. Okay. You're not able to borrow against retirement accounts. Or, and by the way, some people could borrow against 401ks. That's also a dangerous thing, but sometimes necessary from folks' point of view. One minute, I can do this. Okay. Let's see. Oh, here we go. With a portfolio line of credit, you won't undergrow a credit check. You can often have the money immediately or within a few hours. In many cases, simply transfer the funds from your account to the bank. Unbelievable. Make it easy. Okay. And let's see. Okay. Each brokerage sets the minimum amount of equity in the account that you must be able to have. Okay. I guess we'll finish up the break, folks, here. This short story is these are called margin loans and you shouldn't do them. Need to explain a little bit more when we get back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back, or I should say I'm back. This is McNamara on Money. My name's Mike McNamara, and I'm running around the financial world today making some hopefully sensible and helpful comments about various financial things. And right now, I'm about to tee off on what are known as margin loans and or portfolio line of credit loans. Yes, you can borrow against your investments only if it's in a taxable account, like an individual account or a joint account, not any kind of an IRA. And 401k loans are a whole separate discussion. But anyway, if, I'm going to use some math here on the radio. Okay, if you had $100,000 worth of stocks, bonds, mutual funds in a joint account, married couple, for example, okay, you could qualify for a margin loan of anywhere between 30 and 60% of the value of the securities that you have in that account. So this is a loan that has collateral 
Okay. The interest rates that they charge on margin loans, they're lower than charge cards by a bunch, and they're lower than personal loans that aren't collateralized that you can get at the bank, but they're higher than mortgage rates and most other things you could take a look at. I think they're probably in the seven, eight, nine range, depending on where you are. But anyway, okay, I'm reading this article from bankrate.com, okay, basically going about the goods and the bads. Let me just read a little more of a piece and then tee off here. Money borrowed on a portfolio line of credit can be, I love it, they, they, this is marketing. They don't say margin loan. They say portfolio line of credit. Let's see, that would be a PLOC, I guess, if I was to abbreviate That's that. what I was going to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. A, a P, it doesn't, that doesn't sound like a good marketing. Nope. Nah, nah nope. we'll move along. Or a PLOC. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Funding home improvement project. Yep, buying a new car. Danger. Consolidating debt, educational expenses, business financing, buying more securities. Okay. Okay, so here's the deal, folks. Okay. I think this is a court of last resort if you need to borrow some money. Okay. Maybe it's before a charge card if you happen to have some securities. But anyway, they work like this. Okay. Let's say there's $100,000 in security. I'm going to make this up. Okay, you can borrow anywhere between 30 and 60% depending on where you have this account, but I'm going to use 50% because it works on the radio. Let's see. So if I have $100,000 worth of securities and I borrow 50% of that, I can borrow $50,000. And by the way, the bank will, the brokerage firm will happily send you a check to your bank. And this works just like your home equity line of credit. They start charging you interest on it. Okay, it's a line of credit. That interest is 7 or 8%. <clears throat> and unlike a, an equity line of credit, home equity line, okay, you don't have to pay anything. On a home equity line of credit, you have to pay interest and you can pay some capital. On a margin loan, you don't have to pay anything. That's really scary when it comes time to pay it down because it compounds and that gets a little scary depending on how long. Anyway, here's the problem. So the brokerage account and the brokerage folks are going to get a little nervous. They lent you 50000 against 100000 in securities. By the way, if you had $80,000 of securities, they only would have lent you forty. Okay. So I'm going to make up this, but it's happened quite frequently. If you do a $100,000 account or have one and you borrow 50000 okay, and next week that 100000 in stocks is worth 80000 they can go down, the brokerage firm is going to say, wait a minute, we'll let this person borrow 50% of the account. The account's smaller now. Okay, 50% of the account, okay, it it doesn't cover it now, okay, and what they're going to do is they're going to give you a call and say, you need to give us some money to make your account bigger. We need $20,000 to make your account bigger so it's back up to the $100,000, okay, or we're going to sell some of your securities to make up the difference. It's called a margin call, and it's pretty simple. This is generic math, folks. It'll vary with each brokerage account, but... If the capital shrinks after you do that, you may have to pony up some money or a lot of money, depending. Okay, that's called a margin call, and it's a terrifying thing. Okay, folks, you need to try to avoid margin loans as 
best you can. If it's a last resort, it's a last resort. But they can be very dangerous. They can blow up and they can make your assets go to hell, to be perfectly honest with you, if you're not care- careful about it. The stories I could tell from some folks, that we we do not encourage this at McNamara Financial Services at all. Okay. And sometimes we'll have to open one because the client's in trouble and we'll caution them up the yin-yang. But the bottom line is they're scary places to borrow money, okay, and just not a good deal. So forget about that, okay, folks. Margin loans and portfolio equity lines of credit, danger, Will Robinson. And if you don't know what that means, I'm dating myself. Even, Tim, even you know what that means. Lost in space. There you go. There you go. Okay. Bad stuff, folks, here. So let me put that away and let's go someplace else here. Do I want to do another loan thing? I got to think about this or uh, I've got a, I've got an article on bank loans. Okay. Uh, and I'll just, I don't even have to read the article. So you can secure from most banks a personal loan that does not involve any collateral. I'm pledging my house or I'm pledging my assets. Okay. And That's also a court of last resort if you have to borrow money. Those rates are higher, okay, and it's the same thing, okay. Everybody has to borrow some money, certainly for their home or most folks, and probably for cars and probably for college, okay. But anytime you get into any kind of a loan, regardless of what it's caused, it's called, Okay, you got to pay it back. Okay, it's a negative on your balance sheet, and you just have to treat very, very carefully given the circumstances. I guess I'll just leave it at that and go from there. Okay, all right. Let's see. I got a few more minutes here. I've got a bunch of articles. Let me see if I can pick a fun one. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Here we go. Let's see. Ten retiree costs that have risen most since 2000. This is a lesson on inflation, folks. And this is a lesson on retirement planning. Okay, and (laughs) some of the numbers are pretty scary here. So here we go. Okay, this article, now hang on, I gotta quote, quote my credits here. This article is from Think Advisor. Okay, it's basically a company that puts out periodicals and stuff for financial advisors. Okay, it's by a fellow by the name of Michael Fisher, and it's in the form of a slideshow. Okay, Tim, you're old enough to make some guesses here. I'll pick on you because I'm All right. myself here. Thank you. Okay, retiree costs that have risen the most since 2000, gasoline. Oh, yes. Okay, by the way, average cost February 2023. 350 average cost January 2000 going to make a guess yes um 2000 dollar 95 not bad dollar 31 okay okay so let me see in case you're doing the math 167% increase in 22 years yikes okay and it was higher than that a couple months ago, wasn't it? Given yes, the circumstances. It was, yeah. Okay. Gasoline. We retirees travel a lot and spend and that's a, right, a, a yeah. lot of time on that yeah. stuff. Propane gas. Used oh. for heating in some places and used for barbecues mm-hmm. and the others. And fire tables and all that good stuff. Yep. Two dollars and seventy cents per square foot twenty twenty three. In two thousand, take a guess. Don't agonize a lot. 
All these are about three times, by the way. I'll give you a hint. Okay, I'm sorry. What was the two thousand amount? Two seventy. Yeah, eight eight dollars. Dollar one. One hundred one from two seventy. Hundred and sixty-seven percent increase. And propane's not, not. I don't think that's a biggie in most retirements. Okay, here we go. This is a good one. Total annual medical expenses. I'll read these and not pick on you, Tim. Average cost for medical expenses, okay, for retirees in 2000, January, $5,844. By the way, that would be probably Medicare payments, okay, that would be supplemental ins health insurance payments and co-pays and stuff like that. So in 2000, you're retired, 5844 in 2023, let's see, if you retired at, say, 60 in 2000, you're only 83 if you're still alive. You've gone from 5,844 to 16,192, okay? Basically, a little bit more than three times or 177%, as we say in the math business, okay? What else have we got here? Pet services. Ah. Oh, yes. All righty. Average cost for a pet January 2000, a uh, hundred and name in a per hundred and nine. No, that doesn't sound right. I can, this is not coming up. I'm going to pass on this. It's about twice, but I'm dating the numbers here and I'm not. No, that doesn't look right. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to hold you in suspense, folks. It's more. That's all you got to know for now. Homeowners annual insurance, $2,508. 2023. $1,489, about three, three times, okay? Oh, I got a text from Sharon. She's asking if you have prices for diesel fuel for oh, boats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a luxury cost. If yes, you darling, if you yes. Can't, if you can't pay for it, you shouldn't own the boat. No, mm. I'm not going to go look for, the, look for that. All right, medical part B, standard monthly premium. So these are the actual costs for Medicare, by the way. In 2000, okay, $45.50 a month. In 2023, $164.90 per month. By the way, about more than three. Folks, think about this. In 20 years, these costs borne by retirees and other folks, obviously, okay, in some categories, three times. Did you plan for that when you were retiring, or do you think you might if you haven't? Dental services, general visits. Oh, this is, yeah, okay. Let's see, $286 a year in 2000, $1,073, okay, in 2023. That sounds inexpensive to me versus some of mine, but who knows what the deal is there, okay? And then, where are we here? Okay, heating oil. Here's one near and dear to everybody's heart. $1.15 per gallon in the year 2000, $4.34. Okay, in February of 2023, and it was a whole lot more over the course of this winter. Again, these costs are running two and a half to three and a half times over 20 years. That's some fairly scary math when you start doing it, especially if you're about 55 or 60 and starting to think about that for your own future. Okay, prescription drugs, same deal. Okay, $1,102 for drugs on average in January of 2000 and $4,524.03 in 2023. 
more than three times the cost. Things don't go down. And I think this is the last one. Yep. Eggs. And I don't pay attention to this because I generally don't eat a lot of eggs. But, okay, in January of 2000, if you were retired, it cost 98 cents per dozen. Oh, there you now, go. Think about that. Yeah. 98 cents per dozen. Not bad. Okay, versus $4.21. Yeah. And that's not the grass-fed ones, I'm right. sure, right. or the organic ones. Or the cage-free. Yeah. Like, yeah, those are like five or six bucks a uh-huh. dozen now. Okay, and what's the point? The point, folks, is, is that things get more expensive. And if it's okay. along the side of the road and they got in their local cooler, you can... Probably pay as much as the, 10 the, 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 There you go. Yeah. Thing. And I guess my point is you, you don't think about inflation very much unless you look backwards. When I look right. backwards, I could clearly remember sometime in my college years, I could clearly remember this, on my little putt-putt Honda 50, okay, <laughs> in 19, this would be 19... Mid 1960s, late 1960s, pulling into my uncle's gas, Uncle Bob's gas station, my little Honda 50, and paying 25 cents a gallon for maybe a gallon and a half of gasoline versus today, sort of. And just, you don't think about inflation until you look way back. Oh, the first house I bought, I should never have sold it because it's worth a million bucks these days. You know how we were talking about gas prices earlier in 2000? You know what I was driving? What? You ready for this? Yeah, what? A 1985. Ford Bronco with a 351 four-barrel oh, carburetor. What kind of a carbon footprint is that uh, for yeah, out, huh? It's long gone now. <laughs> I've cut my car, I think, half yeah. in size. Yeah. yeah. You know, folks, the macroeconomic point is that if you're retired and living on a fixed income, I hope you made some accommodations for the fact that stuff gets more expensive every year, mm-hmm. okay? And hopefully you saved a bunch of money and pulled that off, but it's not it's not a good thing. Okay. All right. I'm. This is easy. This will kill. And do I want to do this one? Things to know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is a stupid one. I'm going to just. <laughs> okay. okay. This is like really stupid. Okay. But right. there's a point here, folks. Okay. Title of the article Five Things to Know Before the Markets Open Today. This is news of the day for May 12th. Okay. 2023. All right. And this is from, let's see, where is this from? Invest, investopedia. Okay.com. Okay, so let me just read this very important article and dump all over it here very (laughs) shortly here. Five things to know before the market opens. This is important stuff. I may have to get out my pen or pencil. Okay. Okay, so number one, Tesla shares are higher on news of new Twitter CEO. That's a life-changing event right there. Uh Okay. Yeah, number two, Michigan Consumer Sentiment index projected to decline. Whew, I got to read that in more okay. detail after the show here. <laughs> you going to Michigan soon, uh, Mike? Okay. Pack West, that's a bank, decline shows banking worries continue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Debt ceiling meeting postponed as staff continue negotiations. Okay. And then Last, but not least, Tesla breaking software update classified as product recall by Chinese regulators. Okay? Okay. So here's my question. Who on God's green earth is going to take that information and do something with their portfolio today? And anybody who does, 
should be very careful about that, and I will not comment on their wisdom for doing so. Okay. 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 I, I would imagine or certainly hope that the vast majority of people who listen to this show... By the way, radio shows are self-selecting. People listen to them over time because they can identify and understand some stuff. And I don't think we have too many traders, okay, or stock traders that listen to this show, okay? And my, my whole point is that what the markets do today probably doesn't have much of an effect on a long-term retirement plan that's not right. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years away. And yet, the financial media, the bulk of the things that show up in the financial media are market and business-related, not human being advice-related, although that that is changing. I can look through the news and actually mm-hmm. find some articles about how people might do things better, financially speaking. But okay, a- 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 anything that speaks to people frequently paying attention to what they think the stock markets are going to do and paying attention to what they think the economy is going to do. I have a news flash for everybody. Nobody knows, okay? And how on earth do you plan for short-term the budget ceiling disagreement? Or how on earth do you plan for, oh, things are slowing down in China and they might blow up Taiwan and Taiwan makes all the chips in the world. Let me see, what kind of a portfolio move do I need to worry about that? Folks, I'm not diminishing all the scary things that happen in the world. I am quite simply saying that nobody can predict what kind of effects they have on investments or investment returns, okay, or stock markets or countries, okay, and it's a fool's errand without question to do that, okay? If you get hung up in short-term events trying to manage your money, okay, they're absolutely unpredictable and they're absolutely random and you don't know about it, okay? So the cure for that is to ignore them because it doesn't matter for a long-term investor, okay? Long-term, okay, countries have capitalism. Capitalism allows companies to produce goods and services and make money. Thank you, goodness. All the stuff we do and we, we drive cars, we brush our teeth, all that stuff comes from like companies that sold it to us, that provided a, some goods or services that we needed. And by the way, those companies, as long as they stay in business and make a bit more money every year, like they have to, because inflation takes prices higher, they're probably worth more because they do that. Okay, so don't try to, I guess the macroeconomic point is those who try to beat the market or those who try to anticipate short-term events and how they affect your finances it's just unknowable, and it's a fool's errand. Okay, you can't predict the future, but you can prepare for it. Okay, and again, for anybody that's listened to the show for a long time, okay, our, our philosophy, along with a lot of others, is most people can't beat the market. It's a fool's errand. Just go buy the market and enjoy the market's returns. And when the market has exciting times, yeah, you enjoy those exciting downtimes as well, the thing. So buy the market, don't beat the market because you can't. And buy the market for a long term because your odds of things going higher over the long run are statistically a whole lot higher than they are of the odds of things going up or down in the short run and you knowing about it. So get over it. 
this is probably one of the most boring financial talk radio shows on the planet because we don't talk about the markets and investments very often. We talk about what you should be doing about it and how you can plan and how you can prepare for those things because it ain't nobody knows. Okay, a long time ago, the folks that I work with gave up asking me, what do you think the market's going to do? Because I don't have a clue. But I do know you're prepared for it, Mr. and Mrs. Client. I do know that you're taking income from your portfolio, and we got a couple of years' worth of reserves tucked away so that we can wait till this market goes over, and I don't know when it's going to go over, and I don't know what the debt ceiling's going to do to the economy, and I don't know if the market's going to crash. We've been there and done that before hundreds and hundreds of times. By the way, I read the other day that the debt ceiling thing that we're having right now, which is pretty panicky and pretty scary. Yes, it is. That's happened 80 times in our country's oh. history. And guess what? 80 times in a row they We've figured moved it out on and, from and, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, moved on. We're crossing our fingers about this one, folks. I'm not rearranging anybody's no, port- no, no. portfolio. Stay where you are. On my guess yeah. about what's going to happen to that. Okay. But before I move on to the next and last article, if I ever get there, in 2011, Tim, you probably weren't paying attention, but that was the last debt series mess. Okay. Okay. This is the current one about, oh, we're going to, we have to extend the debt ceiling so we can spend some more money. It's just a farce, folks. Maybe I'll do a whole show on that sometime. It's just a dance. All the things they're arguing about, they approved in the budget. Okay. The last budget. They're mm-hmm. all, they've all been approved and right. this is it. So now they're just saying we got to pay for them. A- a- anyway. Okay. So when people panicked unwisely in 2011 on the debt ceiling, what am I going to do with my portfolio? When they panicked unwisely then, and there are some folks panicking unwisely now, okay, if the government is going to go into default, guess what they're doing with their money? Buying government treasury bill. Let me think. You think they're going to go out of business. You're worried about it, but we're buying treasury bills to protect ourselves against that happening. Treasury bills are issued and guaranteed by the U.S. government. Could you... Please tell me the sense in that. There is none. You don't have to think to it. Think think about that. Okay, people are buying treasury bills to protect themselves against the treasury defaulting. What am I missing here? (laughs) I just have to laugh. What am I missing Can I phone a friend? Okay, (laughs) quick, sell your portfolio, (laughs) buy T-bills just in case. Okay, it is beyond beyond my imagination to do that. Okay, let's see. I only got about a minute and a half here. Tim, I don't have enough time to do this. Let's see here. Many years. Oh, okay, last dumb question. I'll cover this next time we have a show. No way, no way I can do this. How many years do I have to work to retire? Is that like a dumb question or what? The okay. answer is, may vary. It, my favorite answer. It depends. Uh-huh. It depends on a whole bunch of things. Okay. Uh, let me go to this. Let's see. Da, yada, yada, yada. I wonder if there's any summary at the end of this article here. <laughs> Tips for retirement planning. Okay. No, do that. Okay. The number. This is the summary for the article. I'll just. All right. It. The number of years you may have to work to retire depends on, among other things, when you start working, and not to mention how much you earn in your current age. If you start working in the private sector, and folks, you don't know that, go see a certified financial planner and spend some time thinking about that. That's the short story. All right, time to sign off. I hope some things have been helpful in terms of what I've said today. Have a great week. 